Friends, grace, mercy, peace are yours from God, our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday, we celebrated Reformation. And I talked to you a fair amount last week, if you were here, if you listened to the message later uh, on our website. I talked a fair amount about assurance. As a, a Christian theological term, assurance is the idea that I can know what it is that God thinks of me, right? And what is it that I know? Assurance is sort of the question. Do I know that God, on the one hand, welcomes me, rewards me, or do I know that God, on the other hand, rejects and condemns me? The Protestant Reformation, which we celebrated last week, was grounded on this premise that we have assurance of salvation on the basis of God's grace alone, which is guaranteed to us through Christ alone, and all of that revealed to us in Scripture alone. To say that without maybe some of the, the theological jargon that I just used, uh, the Reformation teachers posited that we can expect that God will indeed welcome us and reward us, not because of anything we bring to the table, but solely because of his love for us. That he showed us that love and guaranteed this welcoming and reward when he sent Jesus into our world to be our Savior. And that that's something that the Bible happily, proudly, gladly reveals to us. The Protestant Reformation was grounded on that teaching of assurance about our salvation. And what we read last week for the sermon message, Romans chapter 3, selections from there, gave us some very clear teaching on assurance. But I think probably what we read earlier, this today's second reading, and what I'm wanting to bring out for you this morning is one of the clearest places where the Bible speaks in terms of assurance. I want to take you into that reading this morning. We'll read through the whole thing again as I, uh, throughout my message. Uh, not a long one, but beautiful, full. The very beginning. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And if you've got it there or if you know it already, I just want to ask you to, to speak these next six words with me. And that is what we are. Wow. 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 What an incredible affirmation here. That is what we are. We are God's children. Not in the way that the Bible sometimes uses that language uh, to just talk about all of the human race as God's offspring, as his creatures, but particularly as Christians, as believers, that we are members of God's very family. Indeed, as Hebrews 2 verse 11 says, that Jesus, God's son, is not afraid to call you and me brother, sister. That God's son uses that language about you and me. That's why we use in the church that language about one another. You can't get more assurance than that. You can't get more uh, comfort and surety than the idea that God acknowledges you as his child, that he, he sees you as a member of his family, that there's always a seat at the dining table open for you. How do we know it? How do we know that that promise of our status as God's children 
is indeed something we can rely on. Because, right, to be clear, the Bible doesn't teach universalism. And this is something that the Reformation very clearly taught. Uh, all are saved by grace alone. This doesn't mean that all are saved. The Bible is very clear about that. And so how can I know that this, this promise of my status as one of God's children, as a saint in his eyes, as a member of that, that multitude clothed in white, which John saw in Revelation, how can I know that I have that? One, first and foremost, it's what God's word says. It's what he promises. He promises that you are his child, that he looks at you as his child because you are in Christ, that he reconciled the world to himself, that he wrapped up all of his estranged offspring in Christ through the cross reconciling all people and that that's a promise he holds out to you as an individual, as a member of the human race. And if somebody wants to walk away from that promise, right, this is where we get into the idea that the Bible doesn't teach universal. And if someone wants to walk away from that promise and say, no, that's not for me. I don't believe that. I don't. So be it for them. But if you want assurance about that promise from God, then to be very clear, you have no reason to doubt it. God does not say things that he doesn't mean. God's word accomplishes what it describes. If God were not serious about that promise, he would not have sent his son Jesus into this world to die on a cross to bring it about. There's no reason for you to doubt that those words of promise from God are meant for you. And yet still, we can doubt it at times. Right? Our hearts sometimes have a hard time accepting the idea that God views us in such a way that we have this status. Sure, I've heard it said, sure, maybe it applies to everybody else. Does it really apply to me? And sort of make sure that each of us individually can be certain about that hope and that promise God has also given to his church, baptism. See, you might right hear the words, you might hear the words and think, okay, everybody else, sure, that can work for them, that's for them. I don't know about whether or not it's for me. The waters of baptism get poured over your head. Your individual head, your particular head, your unique head. Baptism is something that happens to you and it's where God brings this promise in general to you. Right? What happens in baptism? We should talk about this. Right? Baptism is not just pastor kind of splashing some water on you and sort of a, a symbolic thing and then we're calling it a day. And baptism also is not uh, the application of particularly special water. It's not holy water. It's not magic water. Baptism is nothing more, nothing less than the promises that God makes regarding Jesus and what Jesus has done being brought to you individually, pointedly, in a way that is unmistakably yours and yours alone. Such promises as we might find in Acts chapter 22. Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Promise. Such promises as we might find in Galatians chapter 3. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's what baptism is. It's a promise from God to you, not in the other direction. What exactly happens in baptism? Looking out, I see a lot of people who I know have seen baptisms, are baptized. Still, it's always worth remembering what exactly happens there. Someone, baby, a child, an adult is brought up here. 
the pastor, whoever happens to be officiating, takes the water, pours it over their head and says, according to the command of Jesus in Matthew 28, your name, I baptize you, an individual, personal, specific, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the particular word that Jesus uses when he commands his disciples to go out into the world and baptize in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, the particular Greek word there for in also means into. We're baptized not only in God's name as the sort of the, the name which gives this act its authority, we're baptized into God's name. We're brought into that family. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Your name and God's name put together in the same sentence. Where your last name would go, God's name is placed there. Baptism gives you a new family name. You were adopted as God's child in baptism. And this is his promise. Something that he gives in his love. It's the same promise of Jesus. It's right. Baptism isn't a separate thing from what Jesus did on his cross. Instead, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, all of us who were baptized were baptized into Jesus' death. This is where God takes something that happened in a place you probably will never get to. I don't know how many, some of you I know have traveled to Israel. Most of us, I never have. I don't know that I ever will. And regardless, even if I go and stand in Israel, I can't be there at the cross where Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. So where does God bring me the benefits of what happened there in that particular place 2,000 years ago? He does it right here. With those words of promise. He brings you what Jesus accomplished. He brings you those benefits. He unites you to the death of Jesus. He brings you into his family. He makes you his son, his daughter. And the Apostle John told us, all of this happens solely because of God's love. That's the foundation of baptism, right? I, baptism is not something that I decide, I, I earn, I, I choose. Baptism is God's love being shown to me, a gift being brought to me, a promise being poured out on my very own head. But if baptism is where I find my assurance that I belong to the family of God, I find in my life often, and I know you do too, many and various reasons to doubt that I truly am God's child, that I belong to his family. I can ask myself just about any day of the week, would this really happen to me if I were God's child? Would the transmission fall out of the car right before our big trip? If I were truly God's child, the, the son, the daughter of the ruler of the universe, that's something he'd let happen. Would grandma end up in the hospital right before Christmas if we were truly God's children, if he really cared about us and her? Would my marriage fail? Would I lose my job if God were really watching out for me as a good parent ought to be watching out for their child? These things happen to us and fairly, understandably, we start to question whether indeed this status that God promises to us is something that we truly enjoy. John addresses this in what we're reading this morning as he goes on. He tells us again, 
see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we can be called children of God, and that is what we are. But then John says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him, Jesus. John walked with Jesus. John saw Jesus in action during his ministry. In fact, John may have very well been Jesus' first cousin, is one of the things that Scripture shows us. And John saw that when the very Son of God himself was walking around on earth, well, what was the reaction to him? People saw, the Bible tells us, a man of sorrows and one acquainted with grief, who himself said that he had no place to lay his head here on earth. As a preacher and teacher, Jesus was often rejected and scorned. The world, as John tells us here and in the gospel, which also bears his name, did not know Jesus. Why? Because he did not seem to be God's son, at least not in the way that the world would have expected God's son to be. Nor does the world recognize who you are. Again, John says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Anyone who doesn't recognize Jesus as God's son is not going to recognize you as God's son or daughter. But John repeats this promise, this assurance for us in verse 2 of the reading. Dear friends, now we are God's children. And what we will be has not yet been made known. That's important. John acknowledges that this status is not something that can be outwardly perceived yet. That what we will be when our status as God's children is revealed has not yet been made known. That's important. It's comforting to understand that simply because I don't seem to be God's child, according to what I can see and perceive, according to the, what the world sees and perceives, does not mean I'm not God's child. What we will be, that is to say, when Jesus comes back, when we, like him, are glorified, are raised anew, are given perfected, undying bodies, that hasn't been seen yet. We still live in bodies that get sick, that fail. We still live in lives where misfortune and trouble and trial afflict us. What we will be has not yet been made known, but John goes on to say, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. When Jesus comes back, then we will be shown to be God's children. We will live with Christ and with God in a renewed world, a world where sin and death have passed away, where John tells us that every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. That's what the Christian hope is. That's the hope that we have today, all saints day and every day. What does that hope do for us? John tells us, verse 3, All who have this hope in him, in Jesus, purify themselves, just as he, Jesus, is pure. See, because we have this hope for our future, a hope that's guaranteed to us in the resurrection of Jesus, as Paul says again, Romans chapter 6, if we have been united in baptism into the death of Christ, how could we not be united in the resurrection? of Christ as well. Promise. If that's true, what Paul tells us, John says that this is also true. We have hope for our future, promised by God in his word, 
individually promised to each one of us in our baptisms, then what we do here and now is live as God's children. John uses the phrasing, purify ourselves. We reflect not our character, not the character of our sinful hearts, but we reflect God's character in our lives here on earth. And this is something we readily understand. Humans get this, right? When we see children, we tend to think whatever their behavior is, their character is, it reflects the character of their parents. Now, sometimes that's not fair. Generally, I would say it tends to be. Regardless, that's what we're called to do as God's children. Reflect who he is to this world. Purify ourselves through this hope that we have. How do we do that, right? What, what is it that reflects God's character to the world in our lives as his children? It's living life in the way that Jesus described in our gospel reading, Matthew 5. When we live meek lives, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we are merciful and peacemaking, Jesus says we reflect our Father and we reflect him, our brother and Savior, to the world. Our status as God's children yields that, but it's not what results in that. Our status as God's children is what produces this life as God's children. Our status as God's children is not predicated on our righteous living, on our meekness and humility and peacemaking and mercifulness. Our status as God's children is predicated, John said it for us at the very beginning, on the great love that the Father has lavished on us, on his grace and on his grace alone. We are who, he, who we are because God is who he is. Amen.